Back in on Canuck Central, Satyar Shah with Dan Riccio. The trade, the trade you've been waiting for, has finally happened. Bo Horvat has been traded to the New York Islanders for first-round pick, Anthony Bavillier, and Atu Ratti. Now, Dan, a, a lot of discussions about how his name is pronounced because uh, yes. some say it's Ratu, some say it's Ratti. I, I know some of the pronunciation guides have it as Ratti. So it's going to be one of those situations where where when he finally meets with the media, we'll get a clear answer to how his name is going to have to be pronounced. Uh, I know uh, Batch retweeted that it is uh, Atu Ratu. So I, I, for now, I'm going to yes. go with... Uh, the play-by-play man and his uh, initial research on how to pronounce the name uh, because he did have to call uh, Aturatu and a goal that he scored in Mm. Vancouver earlier this year. So I'm trusting in Batch on this one. Listen, I'm going to trust Batch because I have no reason not to trust Batch. (laughs) You know what? I do want to shout out uh, Chris Faber for pronouncing Phil DiGiuseppe well (laughs) in a question to Patrick (laughs) Alvin earlier during that media availability. Well done, Faber. Uh, How am am I not surprised? That's the main takeaway you had of the Patrick Alvin media availability. Was I mean, what (laughs) other takeaway is there to have? You know, the Canucks got three first rounders. Unbelievable. I mean, that's what uh, Patrick Alvin said. You can look at it as, as acquiring three first rounders. Okay, and... Bo Horvat, we are going to hear from him coming up in just a moment. He met with the media alongside Lou Lamorello uh, to talk about being a member of the Islanders. So, so we'll play that. I know a lot of people want to hear about, hear from the Canucks' former captain. So we'll get to that. And Shane Malloy is going to join us a bit later on as well. And, and we'll get some of your questions and text messages. We'll get to those. But we didn't get quite enough time to run through everything Patrick Alvin talked about here, Reach. So let's kind of run through some of the things we mentioned a bit earlier, but just to kind of get through the gist of the things that he kind of pointed to. You mentioned he does believe Ratu is going to be a center, responsible 200-foot game, but I thought it was notable that he said he's going to start in Abbotsford because I think that's the absolute right call, not just even if he's ready to play, but I think you have to take a long-term approach. And one of the things that... I believe the Canucks are doing here is really betting on their developmental system, Mm -hmm. their evaluation, and trying to build towards something. We know the Sedins are are heavily involved with that. So bring him in at that level first. Let your guys get hands on him and see where his game is at and evaluate it from that point. And take your time. Let him play in in Abbotsford for a while now and and really hone in on why you think he's going to be a center and what he needs to do to become a center and really keep him there for the time being. And, And I hope that's what they do. And it seems like that's going to be the initial uh, tack they take with him. They've talked a lot about how they've, you know, worked well in Abbotsford, how the Sedins have been a big part of the development staff there in Abbotsford and everything that's gone on. There's going to be a time where Pod Colson and Hoaglander and, and these guys get called up and get more NHL games this year. But, you know, when those two players were, were sent down, it was sort of the first sign uh, that it was the beginning of the end of the Bruce Boudreaux era in Vancouver, right? And that this management group was starting to take a look at, you know, how are they going to reset this team and take more of a long-term approach? And, you know, when the initial or when the firing of Bruce Boudreaux happened and everything that's happened here over the last couple of weeks, it's pretty obvious, you know, they are really focused on resetting this team for the next couple of years and they do believe a lot of those players in Abbotsford right now, and now Atu Ratu can be included in that, are going to be massive parts. Or they 
are hoping, banking on those players being massive mm-hmm. parts of the turnaround over the next couple of seasons. Foundationally, that's where it's all going to have to begin. I mean, we look at this team now and look at the moves that they've made. I mean, so the players they've tied themselves to, Elias Pettersson, who they hope to sign to an extension. They have Quinn Hughes here signed a bit longer. They added Mikheyev. Now you have Kuzmenko signed. We know JT's a player that they, they brought back as well. The rest... Yes, you're going to be making some free agent signings. But if you're talking about turning this team into a contender, true contender within the window of having, especially Patterson and Quinn Hughes, they're going to have to start developing players and building them up through their system. And that's going to have to be the real focus of this organization long term. And they've invested a lot of money into it. They've invested it with personnel and people that we trust, especially we talk with the Sydney's and the impact they have. Even Rick Talk had mentioned uh, how much they've been helping him out and, and how invested they are and in, in making sure that all parts of this organization, the players are getting to a point where they can be the best versions of themselves. And that's going to have to be the key here, right? Because we can talk about the trades, we can talk about the valuation, but what type of environment are you bringing these people in? Do you have the right people to develop them? Do you have the right people setting the standards and the expectations that can let these players become the best versions of themselves, right? And for many years, this organization hasn't allowed that environment to to happen or or have they've, they haven't fostered that environment. And I think now... The, this is what they have to do. Like, forget all the trades. Like, to me, this is ultimately what it comes down to. And we get so caught up in all these moves. It's your evaluation of everything. And if you're actually able to turn these guys into high-level players the next few years. Everything that this organization has done over the last number of years is rushed, right? And and especially when it came to, to prospects and bringing them up too quickly, having them here straight out of their draft seasons, all these types of things that have continued to happen here, um, you know, it's just, it hasn't worked, right? And development takes time. You'd rather overseason than rush to the NHL. We all know this, but it's never really been part of the plan. And it goes back to Vertanen and McCann. You even think about it with Nils Hoaglander. We've talked about it with with uh, Yannick Hansen, how, yes, there's, there's a talented player there, but did you skip parts of the development process where, you know, he's, he's missing parts of his game that you sort of have to learn when you go through the AHL. Are you giving too much too soon to certain players? And, uh, you know, I'd like to think that that sort of uh, situation is, is coming to an end here in Vancouver because, okay, it's different with players like Quinn Hughes and Elias Patterson, but you, you can't tell me every interesting prospect that you have can just like show up on the NHL mm-hmm. roster and be given, you know, top six type minutes like we've seen over the last couple of years. No. And if you were talking about a team being able to be greater than the sum of its parts, it comes down to how, how everybody plays and do you play the yep. right way? And we, you know, they're cliches. We've heard it so often, but you look at the best teams in the national hockey league, everybody knows what their role is to execute that role well. And the team knows which positions to put those players in. Right. And you don't put a player into a position he's not ready for just because they have the opportunity or just because their skill is better than any other option. There has to be a real plan to what you were, where you're trying to go. And it seems they're taking that approach, especially with put Colson and Hoaglander. And as much as Alvin said, we expect to see them up here. He also kind of left the door open for, it's not going to be them right away. And we do want to get them back and, and be part of a playoff push in Abbotsford. And you know, I know people are asking the question, is it safe to say management setting up the tank the remainder of the season? Is that the goal? I, I don't 
I don't know if it's quote unquote the goal. I think a, a part of their goal is to establish those standards. We talk about the process, quote unquote, that's been cited so often now the past few days since Rick Tocchet was hired. But I do believe the organization is not going to get in the way. And I think this trade obviously makes your team worse. And if you do hold some of those players down in the minors a bit longer, you wait a bit longer for some guys to come back from injury, maybe you shut a couple of other guys down, maybe you're able to move another player or two. I mean, the tank's here for the have for the, for the taking, right, oh, Dan? Like we're, I mean, we're looking at the roster here. I mean, we, we yeah. talk about can this team finish in the bottom five? Hey, now they need maybe they need one or two more nudges, and you might be there. <laughs> you, you think about all that's happened over the last uh, few days, right? Uh, Ilya Mikheyev, um, and and that situation, he's been shut down for the year. Now Bo Horvat gets traded. You've just lost two major parts of your top six, essentially. Um, that are no longer playing for the remainder of this season. That's going to be tough to overcome. Yeah, you get Anthony Beauvillier in there, um, but your bottom six is uh, certainly um, looking a little bit more barren. And this was a team that was already struggling to sort of piece together results. And yeah. I know, you know, you know, there's there's a ton of uh, easier matchups through the end of the season. This upcoming New York trip is going to be pretty tough with New Jersey, New York, and then the Islanders, Bo Horvat's first game against his former team. But that's that's what you're coming out of the All-Star break with. Even though you've got a bunch of games against Arizona, Anaheim, Chicago, all these yeah. different types of teams, it, you still don't have a very strong roster that's that's going to be able to to really fight hard against those lower level teams it's going to be interesting i mean the, the the tank is on they're going to need a lot of bad results to fall further in the standings than they already are but uh it's it's going to be a bumpy finish to the season for sure yeah it certainly will be results wise at least i mean even alvin was you know whether he's resigned to that fact happy about that fact but he, he, he essentially said i mean you know these players aren't going to be playing the playoffs this year and when he went talking about hoaglander and put colson in vancouver so it's best for them to be in abbotsford where they are going to be playing in the postseason and get that type of experience so i think that's part of the plan here and if they get a chance to play some games I don't know if they keep them the entire the rest of the season. So, so I hope they take that attack. And it looks like that's going to be the, the approach they take, Dan. You know, the, the thing I will say about this trade, and I, I know, um, you know people wanted to see a defenseman come through and yeah. maybe a, a right-shot defenseman ideally would be the best piece you could probably get or possibly get for this organization moving forward. But... Look, yes, Alvin mentioned they prioritize getting a center or a defenseman, and they ended up getting one of those two things, a player he clearly liked when he was drafted in 2021 in Atu Ratu. I don't think you can just call this trade an L because the Canucks didn't get a defenseman. Ultimately, these types of trades, when you're acquiring futures for a, a big-time rental asset in the, one that, in the way that Bo Horvat was, it, it comes down to your evaluation of the prospect you are getting. And we have no idea what defense prospect was potentially out there and available for the Canucks. You think about some of the other teams that were involved, like Boston doesn't have big-time defense prospects. Seattle does not have big-time defense prospects. The Rangers, I mean, a lot of their guys are on the big roster, and we went through this last year with JT Miller. They weren't giving up Braden Schneider for pretty much anything, so you can kiss that goodbye. For all of the, hey, this would have been a great prospect to add to the Vancouver Canucks, I think it's just... You know, it's it's wishful thinking to think that these teams are going to be willing to give up their top-rated right-shot defenseman for a guy who was 
ultimately a rental. I, I just don't know how realistic that was for the Canucks to be able to get that kind of a haul as long as they weren't allowing Bo Horvat to speak to other teams. The most scarce asset in the National Hockey League now is a right-handed defenseman, especially a right-handed defenseman that's considered a good right-handed defenseman. I mean, the most simple way of looking at it is look at how many actual righty defensemen there are in the NHL, then look at how many of them are actually good. And it's a small list when you start looking at that, right? So those prospects are going to be the ones that are the most valuable because it's the most scarce asset you can look for in the in the NHL. And hey, listen, Dan, like I mentioned, I'm sure there were teams that offered defensemen as part of their package, but it goes it comes back to what you mentioned. Even if it was a defenseman, maybe a righty or, or a lefty, whatever, they didn't think that prospect was as good or as valuable as Artur Ratti. Ratu, right? Like, that's ultimately what it comes down to. Like, they think Ratu is that player, and that's why they made the deal. Now, before we get to Bo Horvat, Dan, I did also want to mention what he said about Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. And he was asked about the future captain of the team, and he made it seem like a decision may not be that far out, and he left the door open for them to have three A's and everything. But, mm-hmm. you know, made it seem like, you know, this is something we're, we're definitely tackling right away and we're zeroing in on. And a few times, the only the only names he brought up was Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson, and he brought, him, brought them up numerous times. He essentially said, there are leaders, it'll be one of those guys that's going to be the captain. Yeah, and it's it's exactly what we had thought. To be honest, like I don't know if it, it has to be rushed necessarily. Uh, generally, uh, you just sort of let um, the players ultimately decide this in, in a way. Um, and one player will eventually sort of rise among the rest. And we know it's going to be one of Elias Patterson or Quinn Hughes, but um, I think these are situations that need to sort of happen organically. I was a little bit surprised that, that Alvin was uh, so open that this might happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, uh, I thought so too. Now, how much of that is part of the push to get Elias Pettersson signed as well? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I'm not saying, you know, they're, they're, that's the only reason they would want to name him captain, but it's part of that entire push forward now. They, they really want to make it clear, this is our direction as an organization. These are the moves we're now making. This is what we view the new leadership group as being, and this is how we view you within that. You know, I think this is all part of it, right? And, you know, as you sit down and you start going through that and you start going and showing your vision, that's, I, th- I think, part of that discussion here. So I think it's fluid and maybe you don't get to it by the end of the season here. But I, th- I think it's pretty clear that's the indication they're going with as in terms of who the next captain of the Vancouver Canucks is going to be. We'll get to more of your reaction. We'll, we're going to talk to Shane Malloy coming up in a bit, and we'll, and we'll keep dissecting this massive trade, the Canucks trading Bull Horvat to the New York Islanders. But the former Canucks captain, Bull Horvat, he met with the media and here he is talking about the trade that went down now a member of the Islanders. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, uh, you know, a little bit uh, in shock. And it's kind of been a, a big whirlwind for me right now in my family. Um, but, um, no, obviously really excited. Um, you know, heard uh, lots of unbelievable things about the organization, the, the city, and and, uh, and all the players on it. And um, nothing but respect for this organization. So, Really, really looking forward to it. Families looking forward to it. And yeah, I uh, I want to help this team out as best as possible any way I can. Yeah, just uh, the, the elephant in the room would just be, you know, are, are have you gotten to any extension talks yet? Or, or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, um, you know, nothing's been discussed of yet. Um, you know, um, just the, uh, it's kind of all happened so fast. So yeah. Um, yeah, no, no talk on that yet. Um, obviously, you know, with uh, 
we'll see if we can get something done, but I'll leave that to, uh, to Pat and everybody to, to handle that. Go ahead, Andrew. And just a uh, last one for me. What, what, you know, what is your knowledge of the Islanders and their personnel and, and how do you see yourself fitting in and, and helping this, you know, the core of veterans out here? Thanks. Yeah. Um, you know, I've heard, uh, obviously I've heard lots of uh, great things. I've actually, I've played with a couple of the guys on the team at uh, world championships and, and, uh, and know a little bit about them. Um, but um, as for the team, I mean, they, they play such a, a great team game. Um, everybody's, you know, buying in and, uh, you know, working to one common goal. And, and I think I can add that, uh, that extra, hopefully that extra um, little bit of, you know, two-way game uh, offense and, and help them make that next step. Um, again, I'm really looking forward to it. They have a great culture, a great, uh, great leadership group, and, and hopefully I can add to that. Hi, Bill. Thanks for doing this. Uh, just, I guess you probably knew this was a possibility with your contract situation and things were going with the way things were going with the Canucks, but were you happy that it's settled maybe earlier so to kind of get it out of the way, or what are your feelings about that? Yeah, yeah, I definitely, I think, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely going to be easier, I think, a little bit, maybe not uh, mid-vacation with my family right now heading into the All-Star game, but uh, um, no, I mean, I think it's going to give us some time to, to get settled and, and uh, again, get, get with the guys right away and, and get, learn the systems and, and get with the team, um, you know, uh, rather, you know, sooner than later so I can, I can get acquainted and, and, get, uh, and get the ball rolling right away and, and hit the ground running. Go ahead, Tom. That, that was going to be my other question. You, you're on vacation somewhere right now, so this was a yeah. kind of disrupted that. Yeah, no, I mean, it, you know, it's uh, it is what it is, and um, yeah, we're actually uh, we took the kids to Disney, so um, we're just uh, Disneyland right now, and um, yeah, I, I got the call today. So um, again, like it's just been such a whirlwind and, and such a uh, hectic afternoon, but um, in a good way. Um, we're we're all really excited. Hey, Bo, uh, congratulations. For you this year, obviously, you're having a career offensive season. You know, what's changed for you this year? What's clicked, maybe? Um, yeah, I think uh, a lot of it, uh, just going to the right areas and, and uh, putting myself in the positions to, to score those goals or, uh, or make those plays. Um, you know, I've, uh, I'm sure it's no secret now. I've been working with Adam Oates, and he's been, um, you know, he's, he's helped my, my game a lot, and, and uh, especially over the last couple of years just giving me feedback and, and, uh, and help me with my game. So, uh, you know, I like to think I worked hard this summer and it's, uh, it's been paying off. Okay. Well, thanks for taking the time. Um, I'm curious now in hindsight, uh, now that you've been dealt, uh, looking back to the summer when, when an extension wasn't done with the Canucks, did it feel like uh, at that point that you thought a trade was pretty possible or did you always hold out hope that, Hey, you never know, you know maybe they'll come at us with another offer at some point. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm not going to lie in the summertime in, in, uh, even at the beginning of the year, I honestly, I thought I was going to be, be a Canuck and, um, you know, I thought I was going to be a, a Canuck for life, um, to be honest with you. And, you know, it just, things didn't work out that way. And, um, you know, um, you know, it led me to this. So, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful that, uh, you know, the New York Islanders really believe in me and, and uh, I'm proud to be a New York, New York Islander now. Um, honestly, I, uh, you know, I can't wait. Good beer. That's good. Thank you. Yep. We'll go to uh, Farhan Lalji from uh, TSN. Bo, just uh, wanted to ask you about 
the emotions of leaving Vancouver. I know you said you thought you'd be a Canuck for, for life. This has been weighing on you for an entire season to just kind of have it past you now and uh, uh, be able to be free of that. How much does that um, help you right now? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think it's really fully set in, sunk in yet. Um, you know, there is uh, there was a, a lot going on this year, to say the least, and and it hadn't been hasn't been an easy year. Um, you know, dealing with uh, with just everything that that's gone on and and, and happened, and um, for it to kind of well, it's not uh, again, it hasn't sunk in yet. But um, you know, I'm sure when when this is all over and and uh, it starts to sink in, I'm definitely going to have a, a little bit of weight off the shoulders, and um, you know, just to, you know, fresh start and and uh, and get ready to to go with uh, with New York. So um, again, I'm just really excited. Would disappointed or relieved better describe your emotions right now? Uh, I think a little bit of both. Um, you know, obviously it's it's disappointing. Like I said, I, I thought I was going to be a Canuck for life, and, and it just didn't it didn't play out that way. Um, but again, it's uh, again it, it turned right into excitement to uh, to get the call and and uh, to be part of the New York Islanders again, an unbelievable organization uh, with with great leadership, great culture, and um, you know, hopefully I can add to that. Thanks, Gemma Carson Smith, CP. Hi, Bo. When we talked to you on Friday night after the Chicago game, did you have any indication that the, that might have been your last one in uh, in a Canucks uniform? Uh, you know, I, I would be lying if I said it, it didn't cross my mind. Um, you know, exiting the ice uh, at Rogers there. Um, you know, that could have been my my last uh, last game at Rogers Arena. It's um, you know, it was a little bit of emotion running through me, you know, obviously not just not knowing what was going to happen. Um, and looking back at it now, I'm, I'm kind of glad I, I got to soak it in a little bit and, and uh, ended up being a pretty good game, uh, you know, for, for the team and for myself. So um, I'm happy with that. I know um, your wife and kids come to most of the games, but I, I saw them there on Friday night. Uh, was it, did you guys do anything special? I know you didn't really have a Bruce moment, but um no, no. Um, yeah, no, I, I didn't get a Bruce moment, um, but, you know, it was uh, it was amazing to have them there. At least, we, obviously, we had no idea uh, what was going to happen, but, you know, to have them there, um, see my kids on the glass and warm up, um, you know, it's something I won't forget. And, and I'm thankful that they, uh, they, they ended up coming to that game out of all games. Um, so, again, um, kind of bittersweet. What, what stands out? What's the number one highlight you think when you look back at, your time in Vancouver, whether it was, you know, the, the bubble run or something else. Yeah. Uh, there, there's been so many, I mean, obviously it's nine years there. Um, you know, it's, uh, it was a long time and there were so many great memories and I met so many great people, um, teammates, um, you know, obviously our, you know, our bubble run was, was, was a lot of fun, but I think, uh, you know, my first NHL game obviously sticks out, um, you know, playing Colorado, and then I think um, being named captain. Uh, not every kid gets to be named captain of an NHL team, let alone a Canadian team. And and uh, to have all my friends and family there for that was, uh, you know, something that'll stick out forever. And you know, looking back on the last couple of months, you know, we mentioned the Bruce moment. How how difficult, how challenging as a group for you as a pl- as a captain as well. But how difficult for you as a group was was the last little while. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, it wasn't easy. Um, again, with with everything that went on, um, and 
you know, the unknown and, and, uh, you know, the family, my, my family is unknown of what, you know, people are asking me what's going to happen. And, and, you know, it was, uh, it was a lot and, you know, to then have to deal with you guys every day, <laughs> uh, it definitely didn't make it easier, but, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, I think it made me stronger as a person, as a player. And, and, uh, again, it, it led me to this moment right now. So, um, I'm grateful for that. Thanks, Bo, and we'll, yeah. uh, we always appreciated your candor. Uh, thank you. Chris King, Islanders Radio. Hey, Bo, will it help that your third game as an Islander is against Vancouver, or would you rather <laughs> have had that be next year? Uh, you know what? I was waiting for somebody to bring that up. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, that is going to be an interesting game, to say the least. Um, among, among other things, it's, obviously it's, it's going to be a little weird. <laughs> skating uh, on the other side of uh you know uh, of the ice from all my ex-teammates but uh again it should be uh you know it's a game that i've already circled on my calendar and i can't wait to play last one here jay janover vancouver radio oh congratulations on heading to a market that uh, will also appreciate what you've done and, and will hopefully have playoffs uh, playoff success we watched you grow up here, Bo. We watched you be a first-round draft pick. We watched you uh, morph into a talented two-way hockey player, a goal scorer, a team captain. Your time here in Vancouver, I know you just mentioned the bubble, but we saw what Bruce Boudreaux meant to this organization in only a year's time. The time that you spent here, Bo, um, are very near and dear to a lot of people in this province. Is the feeling mutual? Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I can't say enough about you know, the fans and, you know, the province of BC um, and all the, the unbelievable people that I've met over my time in, in Vancouver and getting me a little emotional here, bringing all that up. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, again, it's a, a tough goodbye. Um, and, you know, that, it doesn't go unnoticed uh, what everybody's done for me and, and the Canucks organization and again, all the amazing people um, that have helped me through my career and, and jumpstart my career there in Vancouver. And um, yeah, no, I'm going to miss a, a lot of people and a lot, uh, a lot to do with the Canucks, but um, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be a fresh start for me and the family and, and we can't be more excited to, to be part of the, the uh, New York Islanders um, organization. Um, you know, again, it's just, uh, you know, we're really excited and can't wait to think, get things going. Lastly, Bo, I know this, it's a business. We all know that hockey professional sports is a business, but was there a human part of you that was hurt? The fact that this deal wasn't done in terms of giving you a new contract and staying here in Vancouver for the rest of your career? Yeah, I'm, I'm obviously, like I, I said before on the, uh, you know, on air, I, I thought I was going to be a Canuck for life. And, you know, that was kind of my mindset and, you know, at the beginning of the summer and, and into the little bit of the first part of the season. And um, I guess it just, again, it's just a business and, and that's the way things worked out. And, but again, you know, it, it led me to this, this opportunity right here and, and I can't be more grateful for it. And, and I, I just, I really can't wait to, to help the New York Islanders hopefully make the playoffs and, and win a Stanley Cup one day. That is Canucks former captain, Bo Horvat, meeting with the media as a member of the New York Islanders. And, you know, uh, a bit bittersweet, but Dan, he also sounded pretty relieved that he no longer has to deal with the speculation, doesn't have to deal with the media every day, the questions, and that he can now move on to the next chapter of his career. 
Well, I'm sure Islanders media is not going to ask him about uh, his extension every day. No, definitely uh, not. He'll never hear it. A little while, uh, especially with uh, the way that market feels about Lou Lamorello constantly trading their futures uh, to support the present. But um, it sounded to me like a player who um, had already resigned to the fact that this was going to be the reality for his future, given the way contract negotiations had gone. Um, this was, uh, it sounded to me like Bo Horvat knew this was a matter of time before uh, before his Canucks career was going to come to an end. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we, we've reached that date. People wondered, when will Bo Horvat get traded? Well, it didn't even get to February, Dan. Uh, the, the trade deadline is March 2nd. On the second to the last, the, on the second to the last day of January, he gets traded to the New York Islanders, and the Canucks get Artu Ratu as the prospect coming back, a center, potentially a winger, a guy that there is some split opinion on in terms of how good a prospect he is and what he might become. But a guy who knows all about the prospects and will give us a detailed breakdown of him and what direction the Canucks are going, also with that extra draft pick and how that may turn out for the Canucks, another first round pick, which we'll break down as well. Shane Malloy is going to join us on the other side. It's Satyar Shaw with Dan Riccio on Canuck Central on the home of your Canucks Sportsnet 650. Back in on Canuck Central, Satyar Shah with Dan Riccio. Bo Horvat traded to the New York Islanders. That's been the entire conversation here on the show today. An extra hour, three hours of the show. We had the Patrick Alvin press conference. We played you Bo Horvat's press conference. We heard from Dave Pinota and Don Taylor. Plus, we've been breaking down Atu Ratu's game and the return the Canucks got a first-round pick. Top 12 protected this year, unprotected next season. If... It does go the next season, and Anthony Bavillier as well in return for Bo, for Bo Horvat. And Dan, we are going to talk to Shane Malloy coming up in a couple minutes to get his thoughts on the Canucks' return and how Ratu may turn out for the Canucks long term here. But uh, you know, just looking at this trade more and more, and looking at what the Canucks got back in return, I just keep finding myself thinking about the direction the Canucks are taking here, Dan, and the vision in which they want this team to play and look like. So much of the last year has been wondering where they were going to make the big move and what was going to be the bold move that they made to, to change up the roster and change the mix uh, of, of the core that they inherited. And with how things played out, it just it always seemed to lead to Bo Horvat being that guy. And it's not that they never truly wanted to keep Bo. I think as we've talked about, there was a want to potentially keep Bo, but it was at a number that they thought um, was more in line with their valuation of him. And you know, they offered something around the, the Nugent Hopkins deal in the summer and maybe more recently got somewhere in the 49 to $52 million range. And that was something that uh, just never really seemed to uh, get Bo to put pen to paper on this. So that's, that's how we've ended up with Bo being ultimately the biggest piece they were going to move to really change the mix of this roster. And 
know, they're making a big bet that changing mm-hmm. the culture is going to set this in a different direction. Yeah, and we're going to really break down, especially over the course of this week, what this trade means for the team and who it impacts and all that. And, you know, I know a lot of Canucks fans are also very uh, sad to see Bo Horvat go, like Michelle saying the Bo interview was hard to listen to. Made me teary because he's a great player and a, and a character guy. Sad that, unlike the Sedins, we won't see his career out as a Canuck, but his teammates will miss him big time. So a lot of love for Bo Horvat in our text message inbox. Now a member of the New York Islanders. And to talk about the trade and what the Canucks have gotten back in return and how that may shape the organization long-term and what they have to do to get back to being a contender long-term, our good friend Shane Malloy joins us. Uh, uh, you can all, oftentimes check him out at HockeyProspectsRadio.com, now available on podcasts as well. Shane, always a pleasure getting you on the show, man. And, you know, and truth be told, the person who broke the trade to me was Shane Malloy today. Shane, you gave me a call and I answered. I just got out of the shower getting ready. I had no idea idea the trade was being done, and you called me and gave me the heads up. <laughs> well, you know, at least I'm I'm good for something. You know, <laughs> I didn't I, I didn't have that visual of you getting out of the shower, but that's a whole other story. But. <laughs> I'm glad you said it, Shane. I'm glad you said it. A little too much, a little too much information. But I, I was, I was dressed by the time I, I, I answered the call. So you don't have to worry about that. At that point, you know, uh, you know, it, it was all good. But, but Shane, I mean, you know, let's just dig right into it, man. What was your initial reaction when you saw the return? Well, initially, I thought, okay, this is a long-term play, and it's something the Canucks haven't done in quite some time. And then the first thing that, you know, the second thing that came across my mind is how patient are they going to be? Because, of course, this is a new regime with a new player development department. They have a new coaching staff in Abbotsford. So there's no really proof of concept in terms of them being patient. Although them putting, you know, Pod Colson into the American Hockey League, them putting Hoglander into the American Hockey League, that shows to me that they want to be patient and develop their prospects and their young players properly so initially when i looked at it i thought okay what's going to happen you know in the marketplace when they look at atu ratu and he had so much hype early on which i think was not his fault in, in any means it's like every once in a while you have to look at who's evaluating these players and when you're overhyping a, a 15 or 16 year old player generally if it doesn't go right it's not the player's fault. It's the evaluator's fault, right? Sometimes we have to recognize that we're the problem. So I think he was unfairly maligned going into his draft year. A lot of that got to his head. He admitted that openly that a lot of the pressure and a lot of the talk got to him, uh, which I thought was like really enlightening to me for a young player because most young players are not that self-aware. And I think he just allowed himself to reestablish himself and then get back to what his game really is. So what I think, you know, Ratu will end up being is highest probability he's probably going to be in a third-line center for it, for the Vancouver Canucks. And that's the, where I think the value is. Can they get him into the American League for the rest of this year, hopefully for the full season next year, and then have the player development staff and the coaching staff in Abbotsford help him get to a second line potential. I just don't know if he's a strong enough line driver. I don't, th- I don't know if he's really enough of a dual threat to be a second line center or be an elite in one of those areas, whether he be a shooter or a passer. Now he's a primary shooter, uh, very similar in that respect to Bo Horvat. 
But, you know, overall, I think in terms of Atu Ratia, that's a fine return. Um, obviously, Bolivier is going to be a very good, like, third-line player for them on the wing. He can, you know, roll into center when there's injuries, but primarily on the wing. And then the first-round pick, we honestly don't know because we don't know when, whether the Canucks are going to get it this year or next. Ideally, it would be to get it this year uh, just because you'd rather have the pick earlier so that you have more time to develop whatever player you happen to pick. And I know next year sounds a little sexy, but what's honestly, what's the likelihood of the Islanders being really bad with the goaltender that they have? It's just, yeah. unless he gets a catastrophic injury, it's unlikely it's going to be a really high pick. So hopefully for the Canucks and the Canucks fans, it's a pick that's, you know, somewhere between 13 and 16. Shane Malloy, our guest. Um, on Atu Ratu, um, you know, you, you talk about him going into that draft year was was being a lot of hype, and he's had to reset his game a little bit. Um, the, the thing I kept hearing today was uh, the skating might ultimately hold him back. Is is that where the, the limits come from for Atu Ratu? Well, one of the things you have to, uh, you know, I've had to learn the hard way is that just because someone's not a fast skater doesn't mean they can't be an effective skater in the NHL. It's about skating the game. And it was actually funny today. We were actually recording our show and we were talking about the Islanders draft pick. So thanks to Patrick and Lou for totally screwing up my show. I'll have to go back and fix it because <laughs> we talked about Atu Ratu yeah. specifically, you know, in the show, but we had uh, a player development and skills coach, uh, Pat Malloy come on our show and we were talking specifically about a player like Tyler Toffoli, who was a Vancouver Canuck, and, you know, in his drafter, he wasn't the fastest skater either, but he learned to how to effectively use his skating. And I think Atu Ratu can do the same thing. You don't have to be fast to be effective. Look at Mark Stone. He's not a fast skater at all, but he's one of the most highly effective skaters, and he uses his stick exceptionally well. He's elite. So there's other skill sets that Atu has that can help complement his game to offset, and he just has to learn how to skate the game effectively for what he ha what skill sets he has in terms of his skating and his like obviously his his foundation of his skating. He's not super fast, and that's okay. But he has a very good shot. Obviously, has hockey sense. So there are attributes in his game that I think can be developed. And I think you just have to be patient. And I know, you know, initially seen on Twitter, people saying about, you know, him potentially jumping into the NHL, like, like yeah. stop that, pump the brakes, like reset your expectations of this player. What I really think he should do is go into the American Hockey League this year, play up the season, maybe gets a cup of coffee, comes up and play in the NHL, try to get some playoff games with Abbotsford, have a really good off season, and then go back and play in Abbotsford again. I think it's really important for a player like Atu and most young prospects when you get into the Abbotsford or into the American Hockey League, you want to have a season where you're the man, where you're in all situations so that, you know, your first line power play, first, you know, get on the penalty kill if you can, be first line out there for all the key situations and have the coach have trust in you. Those things are really important to the, for the development of players not just giving them like 20 games and then get them into the NHL and then have them play 10 or 12 minutes in a limited role. It just, the NHL is not a developmental league. You don't learn there. Like that's a sink or swim league. And I think you, you forget 
He's 20 years old. Yeah. He's 20. Like, I know everybody's excited because it's the shiny new toy coming to Vancouver, right? Everybody knows what Bolivia is, and not everybody knows what Ratu is, and we have no idea what the first-round pick's going to be. So, you know, a lot of the focus is going to be on him, and I think you just got to give him the opportunity to come in and play in Abbotsford, learn the systems, be comfortable with the organization, and get the development and the coaching he needs to be to push his, you know, potential up to a higher level. You know, you mentioned that, and Patrick Alvin said that uh, Atu is going to Abbotsford first, and that's probably where he's going to see out the season for the most part. Maybe a cup of coffee, like you mentioned, and you know, you know the, the stuff that you talked about. Uh, effective skating because we saw him actually play against Vancouver earlier this season and he scored a goal against the Canucks and one of the things we noticed when we watched him was yeah he's not fast but he takes really good angles he, he's he's smart in how he gets in on the forecheck so he looks like he's fast because he also works really hard too when he's trying to get in on the forecheck so when it comes from the willingness to do things the hockey smarts and the desire to be a good player it's hard to project but it seems like he has that going in his favor in terms of wanting to be a good player and understanding what it takes well work ethic and will matters i mean and hockey sense matters so if you can begin to understand maybe you understand you're not the fastest skater but if you can understand when to change your speeds and when to get into holes and when to cut off lanes and when to take the right angles on a four check or when you're bearing down on a forward all of that matters so you can be i've seen players like look we've seen players in the nhl um, present in the and in the past, who are lightning fast, and, but they skip themselves right into a dead end, and they're not effective at all, and they end up having a limited career. And I'll take the kid who has the hockey sense and is maybe you would consider him an average skater, but has the hockey sense and the work ethic and the will, and he's a big body. He's six two. He's going to be well over two hundred pounds when he finishes filling out, and that's going to be tough to deal with. So I think he's going to have some value, but I just, I would temper the expectations if you think he's going to come in, you know, in a couple of years and be a second line center in the NHL. That's, that's hard pressed to do that. Like that's a, this is a tough league in the NHL. So if he ends up being a third line center for the Vancouver Canucks for the majority of his time in Vancouver, I think he should be pretty happy with that return. If he becomes a second line center, then this trade has the potential to be a massive home run for the Vancouver Canucks. And then, of course, the unknown of that first-round pick. So for the Vancouver Canucks fans, cross your fingers, and it's the pick is this year, and it's somewhere between you know 13 to 16. That would be great for them. Well, I believe right now it would be the 13th overall pick if the if the season had ended today with the New York Islanders. Of course it doesn't, but you know what type of value does that have, a, a top 15 pick? Or essentially uh, pick 13 through 15 should the Islanders just miss out on the playoffs? Well, if they just happen to miss out and you're 13 to 15, there are some potential second-line players in terms of forwards. It, now, the problem is we don't quite know yet how hard-charging the defensemen are going to be in this draft. Like I can look at it now and give you a roundabout idea, but to be honest, it's a guess. And if anybody else tells you otherwise, they're guessing too. Uh, because there's so much, so much games left to be played, but in terms of the forward group, certainly there is an opportunity to get a second line player there in that time, in that slot, in those slotting area. So for 
for me, if you could pull off Olivier and Ratu, they're both third line players, and the fir- and that first round pick ends up being a second line player, that's good value in return for Horvat because he was a you know he's a pending unrestricted free agent, and although he's only 28 and may resign, um, I think you know there's potentially really good value here, but there's still some unknowns because we don't know what Ratu is going to end up being, and we don't know what that first round pick is. Well, and as far as that first round pick, and you know, it's way too far ahead to look at next year's draft and talk about the possibilities if the Canucks end up getting next year's draft pick. But let's say they are picking thirteen to eighteen. Like, what are some some players in that range in this year's draft that you would be really interested interested in in to maybe pick in that range? Well, potentially you look at like uh, Colby Barlow from Owen Sound Attack, big strong winger. Uh, a guy that all coaches would love in the playoffs, um, has some scoring ability. Um, Riley Height of the Prince George Cougars could be in that area. Perhaps um, Axel Sandin Palika, who we all see it, seen at the World Juniors for for Sweden. So offensive-minded defenseman. So there's some there's some potential there in that kind of area. So and I think players in that area tend to be more of you know third, fourth third defenseman and second line forward. So that's probably what we're probably looking at when it's all said and done, depending how, you know, the draft falls, because there's always going to be a couple teams that go in there and throw in some players that mess up the order that we expected to happen. And then all hell breaks loose. And then sometimes players fall. So the Cucks might get lucky and get a player that falls. Shane, yeah, uh, you know what? Uh, before we let you go, what about uh, th- there's that uh, Swedish defenseman uh, Pelika? What do, what do you think of him as a prospect? Okay, that was the one of the players I was talking about, and I think anytime you have an opportunity to potentially choose an offensive defenseman, because the offensive defensemen are so rare in the NHL, and that you know he's going to be a couple years in terms of of development, probably three or four. I think it's that's worth taking because they're so hard to find. And then when you do and they hit, their value is so much higher. And you can't expect, you know, Quinn Hughes to do it all by himself. So it certainly wouldn't be nice for the Canucks to have an offensive defenseman, you know, in their prospect pool that's young and up and coming. So, you know, he's certainly a guy that I would want to target in that in that range if he's still available. Uh, final thing on this, Shana, but you know we've we've talked with you in the past about how you know the Canucks need to prioritize development in house uh, as something that you know can be better, and that was something going back to the previous regime. It does seem like Rutherford and Alvin have made that a priority, and you know it's not enough time to to say whether or not it's been a success. There's been positive reviews out of Abbotsford so far, but you know that's one of the hallmarks of great organizations is not just getting talent into your organization, but then developing them into, you know, playing meaningful roles on your team, wherever that may be, higher up the lineup, lower down the lineup, whatever it, that, whatever it may be. It's a massive critical component to the success of an organization is how well you draft and how well you develop. There's just not enough mechanisms in the CBA to make up for bad drafting and bad development. I've only seen one organization pull that off and be successful, and that's Colorado. Colorado's drafting in the salary cap era from 06 to 15 was awful. And from 2011 to 2015, it was worse than awful. But they managed to make great trades consistently, which was so surprising uh, to win that many trades in a row. 
and have great free agent pickups as well. So, you know, it can be done, but they're the only rarity. So you have to draft and develop well. And if you look back at Pittsburgh, when they were winning cups, they were the most successful team at drafting, developing, and getting players to play 200 games. They're not, they weren't all superstars. They were decent players, but they got them into the NHL and they started adding assets and allowed them to make trades to, you know, bolster their lineup. So I think, you know, both Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin understand the value of that. And that's where I think the concentration and a lot of their attention is going to is just to ensure that, you know, we're taking the right players at the draft and that we are spending the time and being patient in terms of development and putting a lot of resources because there's no salary cap on player development. There's no salary cap on scouting or human performance departments and hiring staff to, to up you know, the probability of these players playing because we've seen it in the Canucks <laughs> history. How much does it cost you to go yeah. and sign these free agents that are third and fourth liners or, you know, four to six defensemen? What does it cost you? Like not only in that initial signing, but it was a cost you long term when you want to get rid of those players. Mm-hmm. Like this organization has been stuck in that quagmire, and it's time to get out of it. Yeah, and we'll see if this is the start of that. Uh, he's Shane Malloy. Follow him on Twitter at Shane Malloy Hockey Prospects Radio, Radio Sirius XM, and also the author of The Art of Scouting. So make sure to check that out. Uh, Shane, always a pleasure, man, and looking forward to continuing our chats as the season goes on. A lot of draft talk as we get to the end of this year, especially with how the Canucks are trending. Well, gentlemen, have a great night, and you have something positive to talk about this time, so it's good for the Canucks fans. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, Shane. Anytime. Uh, That's Shane Malloy. Uh, And Dan, I mean, uh, before we get out, uh, I think Shane is bang on when when talking about a player, and I know people are texting in and saying, well, uh, you know, he he might be better than what Shane is saying. Bo Horvat had had the same projection, and he ended up being pretty good, and he he can beat it out. I think the thing to take away more than anything, two things for me. Developmental, I think great question about the system that you have and how you develop these players in-house and how you get to that point, but also on the player himself. Smart hockey player, he's got size, he's got a lot of things going for him. How hard is he willing to work? Because if he does have that drive, that work ethic, then he's going to become the best version of himself. Do you have that type of player, and do you have the environment that can allow him to get to get there? That's that's the environment that Patrick Alvin has talked about a ton. And look, uh, for a lot of reasons, a lot of people do not have time to listen to everything that the Canucks have been saying over the last couple of weeks, given all that has happened. But it's clear, and Jim Rutherford said it from day one, Abbotsford is a major part of what we are trying to do here. And if you take nothing else away from how far they've come in a year, at least that is probably the promise they've been able to keep most. That Abbotsford was going to be and is going to be a major part of their project. And so far, that's the thing that has seen the most development in a year's time with Rutherford and Alvin at the helm. Yeah, and that's going to have to be the key for the sustained success for this organization. The first thing is to get success and then try to find a way and find ways to sustain that success. And it's the journey the Canucks are on, Dan, and we are here along for the ride. And went an extra hour today. This brings us to the end of the show tonight, but we'll be back again tomorrow. We'll keep breaking down the, the pieces the Canucks got back in return. And, man, we got a lot to talk about. This week, the Canucks' bye week is not going to be short yes. of discussions at all here. 
a few more days of breaking down this Bo Horvat <laughs> trade and uh, what comes next yes. for the Vancouver Canucks as well, Seth. Yeah, we wait with bated breath. All right, hey, Dan, great stuff as always, man. Uh, looking forward to our chat tomorrow. Thanks, everybody listening. Fast Eddie Gregory behind the producer board tonight. This has been Canuck Central.